Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. It is a pro wrestling podcast where we talk about pro wrestling, and it just so happens I'm Mr. Warren Hayes, and I'm going to guide you through another week of professional wrestling news and tidbits and stuff happening all around. Uh, it is, uh, I'm recording this on July 4th, so hey, happy post July 4th to all of uh, my American listeners and watchers and hangers on or whatever and happy belated Canada Day as well to the rest of my compatriots up here in the great white north hope everyone is uh, enjoying a good nice kickoff to your summer however you decided to celebrate this long weekend I hope it was fantastic and you had a good time and I hope you're staying hydrated and and cool because the you know the big heats are kicking in I hope everyone stays safe but you know I'll make sure that you guys stay nice and cool with some cool, cool, cool wrestling talk right here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. If, you, you know, if you're so inclined and you're watching here on demand, leave a like on the video and subscribe to the, uh, and subscribe to the channel as well. There's a bunch of stuff happening on the channel and more and more over the next few days. Of course, there's the AEW Dynamite review that I do every Thursday, the Collision one that I do every Sunday. But then in just two weeks time, it's going to be my daily G1 Climax 33 coverage. I'm saying daily. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to see if I can punch one out every day. If not, it'll be once every, uh, you know, I'll be punching out one after every two shows. I'll see how things go, but that's the target. Regardless, you don't want to miss it. So make sure that you subscribe. It's, you know, it, there's never been a better time to do that, to be perfectly honest. This is what we're doing here. So, uh, so there's a lot of stuff coming up. Please Feel free to join in. I'd love to have you be a part of uh, of everything that uh, that I do here. And I'd love to have you be a part of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord, where we continue to talk about pro wrestling and all things ancillary as well. Link is in the description. You're more than welcome to join us. It's a big, fun crew that we have down there. So uh, be sure to join us. We'd love to have you. In the meantime, as, uh, as of right now, well, we've got a few things to go over. I'm going to review Money in the Bank 2023 going to go pretty much in depth on that uh some new japan news as well and uh, not just new new japan but japan as well going to be talking about you know the the three new musketeers of new japan and the reaction that came through all throughout all of that uh some nit bits and bobs from from japan and my mid-year wrestlers of the year i'm going to chat about my top five pro wrestlers uh, that I consider to be the wrestlers of the year so far at this halfway mark of the year. We're in July. We got rid of the first six months. I'm going to give you what I think, who I think stands out the most in that regard. But uh, in the meantime, well, before, before we get to that, we're going to start the show. Let's kick it off with the weekly wrestling inspection thing. <laughs> Uh, to begin tonight, uh, we have to talk about the unfortunate passing of uh, former WWE performer and NFL player Darren Draws Drozdov, who passed away a few days ago at the age of 54 years old. No cause of death has still been shared uh, at this moment, uh, but uh, he is uh, he is a uh, a guy who broke into the business uh, during the Attitude Era, and uh, while his career may not have been um, may not have been long. Uh, it certainly div, did leave an imprint in the minds of 
professional wrestling fans. Uh, as I said, he was a former football player, played defensive tackle for the University of Maryland, played six games with the Broncos in 1993. And on one of those games, he uh, he vomited <laughs> on Monday Night Football, uh, which, uh, which afterwards was revealed that it was his special skill that he could puke on demand, right? This, of course, would be uh, a part of a very memorable scene in the documentary Beyond the Mat uh, with uh, Vince McMahon, of course, uh, doing that, uh, that, very, uh, that, that, that very memorable line of him trying to get him to, to puke into a, a garbage container. Um, draws, uh, before wrestling tried, uh, tried his hand, uh, at playing for the Montreal Alouettes in the, uh, Canadian Football League in 1996, but then he transitioned to pro wrestling in 1998. He started out playing, uh, he started out in the WWF, worked with ECW in his first few months, lots of dark matches as well, and then he was part of the LOD 2000 uh, and was included in that infamous gimmick where uh, Road Warrior Hawk was uh, letting his addictions get the best of him. The whole um, Titantron uh, jump was he did he jump off or was he pushed off? Seeing you know not exactly the greatest um, not not exactly uh, the, the the greatest moment in WWE history. Um, draws would team with Animal until 1999 and then started teaming with Prince Albert. Uh, following that, aka Mad Bloom, of course, Giant Bernard, his uh, career came to an abrupt end on October 5, 1999, at a SmackDown taping, when he was dropped uh, during a, a running powerbomb by D'Lo Brown, uh, and he fractured two vertebrae and became a quadriplegic as the result of that uh, running powerbomb, a move that uh, D'Lo Brown performed multiple, multiple, multiple times in the past. Um, and just at that moment, for whatever reason, it just did not work. Uh, it uh, it ended up just being a terrible, terrible moment. One that uh, D'Lo always felt responsible for, but Draws always had forgiven him for at the very least. Uh, didn't hold uh, any ill will. Draws then uh, remained with the company working on the digital side of WWF slash WWE uh, on the website, writing articles and on webcasts as well. It is a, it's just one of these stories, man, that uh, it just breaks your heart, reminds you at how precarious all of uh, every everything people do in pro wrestling is. Um, and uh, quite unfortunately, 54, very young, I extend my condolences to uh, the, uh, the to the entire family of and friends of Darren Drozdov in this very difficult time. As it stands now, we are going to review Money in the Bank 2023 that took place in London, England, at the O2 on July 1st on Canada Day itself. No respect. For our Canadian tradition, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't even. I like. I don't even think like. Um, I, I, I I don't think um, money in the bank 
is uh, not, not money in the bank. Uh, Canada Day isn't. It's not even really that big a deal here. It's like everyone's like, yay, a day off. It's nothing like the Fourth of July, honestly, where you, where you feel like it's it's much more significant. You know what I mean? JPJ, nice to see you. Love the Between Two Beards podcast right here on YouTube.com slash Love Wrestling CA or Love Wrestling whatever. <laughs> nice to see you. Uh, and um, no, the, the New Japan shows from last night, I have not had the, just so we're very clear here before we do move on. Um, just to be very, very clear, I did not watch them yet. I am planning on watching them. I just, it was just unrealistic for me to uh, for me to watch them on time for today, but I will have a full review next week. I heard that uh, it was a pretty damn good show today. I'm excited for tomorrow's as well, which by all accounts should be even better on paper anyway. But the O2 and in London, England, we had the Money in the Bank show. I watched it. I thought this was a pretty good show. I thought the I thought the good stuff was good enough. But not everything landed. Not everything was good. I feel like this is the um the theme of a lot of uh, WWE shows where you're going to get some really good highs. Uh and but you will get some 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 bad stuff on the show, on a show on a ple but thankfully the good stuff is good enough to uh to overshadow it right and i'm saying like this was pretty good considering that two of these matches were ladder matches right which you know to me it starts off as a strike because i i can't do ladder matches anymore i'm sick of them i'm sick of ladder matches in in, in pro wrestling moratorium Across the board, for at least a year, I wish, I wish, I, I wish I was in an environment where I could miss ladder matches. Like just take a, you know, uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder, right? Isn't that the expression? That's the idiom. But no, like, and not only do I have to watch a ladder match, I have to watch two in one same night, right? But I will say this: I think both ladder matches came across as different enough. I you know I think that the I I think the guys ladder match was more of the spot fest was the stunt show whereas the women's uh, they weaved a lot more creativity in it they weaved a lot more uh, wrestling into it didn't uh, depend as much on the ladder stuff um, this might actually be a spoiler I <laughs> to my own review but uh, I kind of liked the women's money in the bank. Um, the, the I I I like the the women's Money in the Bank a lot more uh, than the men's one. But let's get it. Let's start. Let Let's start with the men's Ricochet. Well, actually, hang on a second. It is Damian Priest who defeated Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, L.A. Knight, Santos Escobar, Booch, <laughs> and Logan Paul. To become the men's Money in the Bank uh, winner. Uh, and uh, I thought this was fine. As far as, you know, ladder matches, Money in the Bank ladder matches go with too many people in there. You know, 
I thought this was fine. It was enjoyable. Everyone hates Logan Paul, right? So when he hits the ring, well, everyone beats up on him because he's the only guy who didn't have to qualify, apparently. There's some cool spots that happen here. There's a lot of the tropes. A lot of the tropes in ladder matches that I don't like. You know, the positioning. People get knocked off, uh, knocked outside of the ring and they're not seen for minutes on end. There's a lot, there's a, you know, a lot of tropes. And I'm not, this is not a WWE thing. This is a ladder match thing. A lot of the tropes I can't, I, I can't stand anymore. But still, good spots. You know, Logan Paul splashing onto, uh, onto Damien Priest on a transversal ladder on the floor and the ladder doesn't break. I was like, ow, that guy to fucking hurt. <laughs> Ricochet does a 450 on a transversal ladder. Look at all these safe spots everyone is doing. Everything is so, everything is so safe. Moonsault off the ladder by Pete Dunne. And then the slingshot Spanish fly through the tables, right? You know, the, 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 with Ricochet and Logan Paul. The one where they, you know, you know, Logan's head sort of bounced off weirdly and he was bleeding from the neck or whatever, you know, he got cut. Maybe he wasn't bleeding from the neck, you know, it wasn't like a, there weren't arteries that were, that were nicked here. There was nothing like that. But, uh, you know, it's in, yeah, it's very interesting for me to look at this, to look at this guy, uh, and it's an ugly bump that he takes, Logan does. It's interesting for me to look at this, to look at this ugly bump, to see a guy coming up and he's bleeding, and I, I have not seen a single thought piece on how unsafe Logan Paul's bump was. Isn't that interesting? I have not seen any 500 word dissertation as to why WWE needs to clean up its act. Why it has to stop allowing people to, to take risky spots. You know, that Vince, I didn't, didn't read any articles saying Vince McMahon has to stop giving uh, too much uh, leeway freedom to his wrestlers because they're all going to do dumb shit. I haven't heard anyone argue that the agents, you know, they have to get their asses in line and make sure that everyone does safe shit. You know, where were the agents here? Why didn't anyone lift, say, hey, this might be dangerous. Let's not do it. I haven't seen any of those. Haven't seen a single member of this safety police coming in and saying WWE should not do this. And yet Logan Paul, you know, hurt himself. He landed awkwardly, got some blood drawn. Oh, geez, Luis, if only there was. How could we have prevented this? If only there was a center where people could go to work on their performance, right? Go to classes in the center focused on performance, to make sure that everyone knows the moves and are performed safely and without fail. Gosh, willikers, gee whiz, if only there was a center for wrestling performance 
that could do the trick. Gee whiz. Hmm. That, that fool over there, that 64-year-old dude with the face paint, he's just nuts. He shouldn't be allowed in a ring. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's only got like 40 years of experience in his pocket. He, he shouldn't be out there doing nonsense, right? But hey, we're not going to say a single word when it comes to Logan Paul in his head flapping back and getting a big gash on his neck. No, that's just, hey, that's just the business. That's just things that happen, right? You've got guys doing 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 450s off of ladders onto other ladders no no that's super safe absolutely no way anyone could get hurt on one of those what what are we even doing here what are we talking about You know, there, there, there absolutely, 100% is a secondary standard. It, it, it really does exist. There's a completely different standard that exists from one promotion to the other. Without anyone, without anyone coming to realization, like the full circle moment of people just realizing, hey... It is professional wrestling and people get hurt and accidents happen. And I don't care how much training you have, how much experience you have. It's pro wrestling. The whole idea behind pro wrestling is throwing your body around and throwing someone else's body around in you know, simulated combat. And you do your best to protect the other guy or gal that you're wrestling with. But sometimes shit happens. It's infuriating. Dave Pazewski, good guy Dave, nice to see you and welcome. We got a bunch of people jumping in here. J.S. Brown, nice to see you. Got our boy Flowman as well, who is a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel. Good to see you and DGMC. Another member of the Mr. Warren Hay Show channel is here too. Good to see you all. And I see your super chats and whatnot. We'll get to them. Anyway. Damien Priest wins. Uh, one of the, you know, least interesting guys in the match wins it. Like I said, the match was fine. I have, I have no real issues out of it. It was a spot fest. This is what it was. It's fine. It's the spot match. And let's call it for what it is. It's a spot fest. That's what this was. And it's not anything more special, you know, than anywhere else. Like this is a, it was a spot fest. It was fine. Again, I come in, you may have liked it more than I did because I come in with, with prejudice against ladder matches. What are you going to do? But Damien Priest, one of the least interesting guys in this, in this whole thing, wins the money in the, 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 the money in the briefcase bank. That's what he does. This is the guy. Whereas you legitimately had, and I talked about it last week, and we're bringing this full circle right here. You had two guys that I had called that made absolute sense to put, the, to put it on. First of all, LA Knight. The guy is on an organic rise right now. And I know there's a lot of people that are bitching about, 
No, he's a copy of Stone Cold. He's a copy of The Rock. This guy has been doing this type of promo for years. You go back and you watch him, Eli Drake, from when he was an impact, and you listen to him today. If anything, he's cranked it up because he knows that once he's got the mic in his hand, everything is fine. And he's a guy that he is over. He managed to get himself over despite being in a dismal feud with Bray Wyatt. And he got himself over nonetheless. He is a he is tailor-made for world wrestling entertainment. And he's got the fans behind him. He's got everything the fans like. He's got a couple of catchphrases. He's got some sing-along. Everything that WWE fans love. But no, we're not going to put the we're, we're, we're not going to rocket pack that guy just not no 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 no. We're going to we're going to wait, right? We got to let the story tell itself. We're going to wait some more instead of just going, "Hey, you know what? Let's just go with a hot commodity right here." All right, whatever. Then the second person that I thought was hot enough to put this the the, the, the to grab the belt, the 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 briefcase was Logan Paul. And I still think that that was another missed opportunity by WWE to not belt up, not belt up, Jesus Warren, it's a briefcase. You don't belt up a briefcase. To give the tie, to give the briefcase to Logan Paul. I told you last week what I would have done and I'm saying it again. Logan Paul wins the briefcase, waits till later on in the evening for when Roman gets beaten by the by the Usos, then he runs in to cash it in and the Usos make sure that Sol Sikoa don't get involved. And he wins and he becomes undisputed universal champion and, 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 and at least something interesting is happening and a guy has the belt. Because in WWE, there are not a lot of people who are a guy. There are not a lot of people who feel big time in that company I say Logan Paul he, he's treated like a megastar when he comes out and when he's when, when he shows up and it's like Logan Paul coming up next next week Logan Paul Logan Paul Logan Paul he's treated like a big fucking deal so he comes in and he feels like a big fucking deal Roman of course Brock Cody who else who else on this roster feels that big feels like they can be on that level and don't come and tell me Jey Uso Jey Uso is not a guy Jey Uso might win a title but he's not a guy do you understand the difference someone who is a true to form superstar someone that comes in and is treated like big time like special don't Seth Rollins is not he's not a guy he's not the guy he is a guy but he is not one of these guys. He's not that special. He's not treated like he's unique. But all those others that I mentioned. Not Akira Tazaki. Hit the bricks. <laughs> Chat's going out of their mind. They hear me get a, They hear me rant. Then they, they, they think they can say just to start spewing anything that comes to their mind. Okay, and but however, here chat is bringing up a very good Pat McAfee is actually treated like a bigger top guy than a lot of guys on the roster. I agree. See, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Everyone else is just a guy. So 
Damien Priest. He is the most, he, he is the most guy, a guy of all the A guys out there. He's third in the judgment day. He's behind Rhea. He's behind Dom. I'm, I'm absolutely making an argument that Finn is the least interesting person in the judgment day. He's the least push. He's the least interesting. But we have those. He's the third behind Dominic and Rhea Ripley. And he's thrown into here. Because look, there's no one else on, in, that, in that setup here. That you could say, they, they should absolutely win outside of LA Knight and Logan Paul. Not Santos Escobar, not Butch. Not Ricochet. Ricochet, sorry to say everyone, that ship has sailed. And so has Shinsuke Nakamura's ship. It's sailed as well. And these are all guys who are content, clearly, because they resign with the company. So they're happy with what's going on. That's fine. Look, Damien Priest is getting the briefcase as a thank you for all the great... He's been, he's been a top-notch company guy. He has gone out there and he has done everything that was asked of him. He even did the fucking zombie match with Miz. And just, just on that alone, he deserves... A, he deserves a thousand-day reign, if you ask me. On that, on that basis alone. But look at what they're doing with him. I'm, I'm sitting here telling you, and I told you last week, he's not, he's not the guy. He's a guy. And what title is he going after? He's going after the secondary title. He's going after the consolation prize. He's trying to cash in on Seth. Tried to do it last night on Raw as well. So this is where we're at right now. There's nothing, there's going to be no big mystery to, to whether Damian Priest is a guy or not, is, is the guy. He's a guy. He's another one on the roster. And this money in the bank briefcase thing is going to, it's just going to flounder. Just like most of them have in the past few years. No one has truly, sincerely been elevated off of a money in the bank win in years. And it goes as, it's as true for the women as it is for the men. And do you know when it became an abject failure was the big E cash in. And be and the subsequent push. Because the cash in, they can do a big deal out of the cash in. They can get people excited. They can get everyone up on their feet. Because that's what WWE wants. They want the pop. They want the pop. They want people coming in with the briefcase. Going, <laughs> and then they pop. And then it's, oh, what an unexpected twist. You know? But then after that, it's all a nosedive. Nikki Cross. Um, Liv Morgan. And Big E. Big E, on his first night out as a champion, got pinned in the middle of the ring in a three-way match, up doing the J-O-B, staring up at the lights. And that is his first night out as a champion. And I remember sitting here telling you all, what do you think this means? This means that the company doesn't have faith with him and he's not going to last three months and he didn't last three months. I don't even think there's the concept in it about itself is, is inherently broken. And until they do something really interesting, all they're going to do every time they build up the money in the bank is show footage of Seth because that was the big one 
That was the one that got everyone into it and super excited. But there has never, ever even been something remotely as fun as the Seth Cash-In. But that's the one we're going to go back to because that's the moment. That's the one that, that brings out the emotion. But how many years has it been? Seven, eight, nine? Ridiculous. Anyway. Good for, I mean, good for Damien Priest. And here's the other thing. Is that I, I like Damien Priest. I love Punishment Martinez. Like, he's a good guy and a good wrestler. And like I said, good company guy who's done everything that's been asked of him. Why not get this? Spin their little Judgment Day separation story in the meantime and whatever. They, they can do whatever the hell they want with that. But good for him. But I don't think this is the mark, the stamp of confidence that people think it is anymore. It is all show. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler lost their WWE Women's Tag Team Championship to Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. Look, this was not very good. This was not very good at all. And nothing happens in this match really until Shayna Baszler attacks Ronda Rousey a little out of nowhere uh, mid-match for some reason. Um... Just goes after her and uh, leaves Ronda in the ring to rot. Take the pin. I mean, is that a that was a little that was a little that was a little harsh, right? To rot could have been a little kinder there. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Raquel and Liv, uh, good for them. Uh, I got nothing. I I I have nothing here. I have no thoughts. Um, Shayna Baszler is still a wrestler that I have always liked. I think she is one of these, she is one of the, um, she, she is part of a, of a small collection of former MMA fighters who have transitioned to pro wrestling very, very easily and very, very well. I think of her, I think of Tom Lawler, you know, I don't think of Bob Sapp. But it's true, though. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, for a time, you would have said Ronda Rousey, but maybe not anymore. So, you know, there's there was a collection of, of people in this match that I, I have no, no thoughts, nothing to give. I don't think they're interesting. I don't think they're particularly good pro wrestlers. Uh, I think, um, you know, there's... Wrestler, there's at least one wrestler in this match that a lot of people create headcanon around um, to make that wrestler more appealing than what they actually are. But in reality, there is nothing to this match, and uh, I think it, I think it was kind of bad. So all I can hope for is that this was a good, this is a good um, direction to be giving Shayna Baszler who can actually wrestle. Because there's a, oh Lord, there's a bunch of people in the women's division right now who, uh, it's just, it, it, it's a disaster. I think the women's division right now, I was watching Raw by Bits and Pieces last night and I tuned in to watch the, uh, what do they call it? The tag team, it wasn't a gauntlet, the tag team turmoil. 
And boy, oh boy, that shit is dismal. That was, uh, that was not great. And uh, there's something on how... Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, I can't, I can't hammer this home enough. I'm not going to sit here and then defend AEW for how they treat their women. Right now, in North America, there is not a single major promotion that gets it right with their women. There's big, big holes. And last night, you know, maybe WWE has the roster and puts more faces on television. But when you, that turmoil match was dismal. And when I see Candice LeRae being shackled like she is, when she is such a, a she is a, such a superior pro wrestler than what she is presented as. It's frustrating. And it's not something I want to partake in. It's not, it's not interesting. So I can only hope. I can only hope that Shayna being unshackled here, getting a singles push, will lead to something. But I also know better because... Look, you've seen the reports. You've seen Vince's fingerprints are all over the shows. Well, Vince doesn't understand Shayna. He doesn't get... Vince doesn't get the, 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 the catch wrestling aspect. He doesn't get any of the wrestlers who lean into that. He doesn't get it. He just never understood it. And he doesn't understand it with Shayna. He doesn't understand the appeal of Shayna. And this is where we're at now. Now, don't get me wrong. If Ronda's being written off television... I think that's a benefit for everyone. Because, you know, why should Ronda... Look, and this goes for everyone, right? Why should you stay... Why should you keep doing... Let me say that again. Why would you keep trying to do something you you hate? Why? This is Ronda. Ronda should just hit the bricks. And, you know, it's fine. And Dave Meltzer this week was reporting that... Uh, that there was, a, you know, this was rushed. This was, it happened very quickly. And I'll, I'll read the quote here from Wrestling Observer Radio earlier this week. This is from the uh, Observer Figure 4 online website that you've probably heard of. That doesn't have an RSS feed. Just putting that out there. This was always, always, always the plan, says Dave. Three always. So that way you know it was always the plan. They didn't deviate. That was always, always, always the plan. It kept, it kept getting delayed and then Ronda got hurt. And the thing was, and I don't know the date, and it might be SummerSlam. It might be a little bit after. The deal is that Ronda has a heart out. She gave a date. This is my last date. Because I remember talking to someone, somebody there and it's like, I know they're going to do this and I guess make the big match for WrestleMania. And it's like, no, her heart out is, they didn't give me the date, but it's long before WrestleMania, he continued. They want to do a feud. The whole tag team was a setup, was to set up Ronda and Shayna doing a feud. Ronda wanted to do this feud with Shayna. She got what she wanted. She's always wanted to do it because Shayna is the one that got her basically into pro wrestling. God damn you, Shayna Baszler. We've only got you to blame then. It's all, it's all Shayna's fault. For once, you can't blame Canada. 
You can only blame Shana. <laughs> so basically, if, you know, if I'm reading this correctly and making sense of what Dave is saying here, they're probably going to have a match at SummerSlam and Ronda's out the door. Ronda's gone infinito and she doesn't need to come back. No one wants her back. We're fine. We'll do, we'll do fine without Ronda Rousey in WWE. And again, if this is a kickoff point for Shayna Baszler, let's go. I think what the women's division is missing right now is grit. It's missing grit. It's missing a fighter. Someone who looks fearsome. Someone who looks like they can tear your head off. And Shayna fits that. There's a lot of pretty wrestlers. Nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, but there's you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of pretty attractive wrestlers who work that angle. But not a lot of wrestlers, not a lot of women on that roster going full out. Yeah, I'm just going to kick your shins. I'm going to, I'm going to kick your face in. I'm going to snap your neck. Nothing like that. It'd be refreshing. I'll tell you what. Then we had Gunter versus Matt Riddle. Successfully retaining, I should say, the Intercontinental Championship against Matt Riddle. Um, I, uh... This, this match was solid as hell and fun as fuck. That's my analysis. Gunter really pulls out the best wrestling matches in WWE on a consistent basis. And he pulls out the best out of his opponents as well. Now listen, don't get me wrong here. This isn't, this isn't one of Gunter's... I still can't believe this is coming out of my mouth. This isn't one of Gunter's five-star matches with, with Sheamus or, or, or Ilya Dragunov or Tyler Bate, okay? This is... But... Gunter's thing is brutality. And I think this is one of the reasons that make him so, that make his matches so refreshing and feel good and feel like pro wrestling because a lot of what happens on WWE doesn't feel like pro wrestling. But when, when Walter's there, Gunter's there, it, fell, it, it feels special because he's on an island here. He's the only guy who wrestles the way he does. So then when he gets into other guys who can fit that mold, like Sheamus, like Drew McIntyre coming up, clearly, um, it gets exciting. It's, it, it, it gets good. Same thing with Riddle here. I thought this was pretty good. And I'm not a Matt Riddle fan, you know, for any, you know, for, at all. But, you know, if, if we want to get to the nitty gritty and give some analysis here, this match, this match was very good. I enjoyed it a great deal. And Gunter here, what, what was his strategy? This is what I loved about this match. No overwrought psychology or monologues or people, you know, it's like, oh, dude, you know, it's like with people on the outside or shit. Gunter was like, you stupid motherfucker. You're coming to wrestle me barefoot. It's on. And he destroys his ankle. He gets Matt Riddle to submit by slapping his ankle. How does that not rule? What a fantastic finish. It was the best finish of the night. It's the best finish of a wrestling match I've seen in 
Uh, just a little bit over a week, a little bit under a week, I should say. A few in a few days. That was fantastic. He's got him right there, and he's like, whap, whap, whap. And Riddle's like, okay, give up. The psychology here is so simple. Walter is a, Gunther is, he's the ring general, right? He's the guy that's just like, you come in and you're going to, you're going to take a beating, son. You're about to get the shit kicked out of you. He said, oh, you're not prepared? You're coming in all here fancy with your bare feet? Well, advantage me and you're going to regret it. I fucking loved it. What a great finish. Then after the match, Drew McIntyre shows up to a big reaction from the crowd. Big surprise. Claymore's Gunter to set himself up as the next contender. Oh, we're still negotiating with Drew and his contract. Oh, come on. Come on. Cody Rhodes uh, defeated Dominic Mysterio. This was bad. It stunk. It stunk. And, and, and it, that's just how it is. Lots of smoke and mirrors here to make this palpable. Cody Rhodes tried to do the best he could. But Dominic is not a good heel. And I don't know how many times I have to scream this at the top of my lungs. He doesn't connect with the audience. He doesn't reel them in. His entire shtick is based on the fact that he should not be... He should not be a tough guy because he plays a tough guy and it's oh it's so ironic. <laughs> we're we're booing the guy. <laughs> if he had, listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> if he had really good character work, if Dominic Mysterio had good character work and had the charisma. And the presence and the understanding of what it is to be in a wrestling ring. He could reel in his audience. You could see him as an early Jay White. Because Jay's strength has always been his capacity to play the heel. Because for the longest time, if you've ever watched New Japan or you've heard some discourse, you can always, you can always remember this. People will say... Oh, Jay White's matches, you know, they're never any good. You know, he just stalls and he doesn't. Because the way Jay White operates, he's always operated like a top North American heel, a top North American territory heel. So he didn't rely on the moves or the work rate. His job was to get him to boo you and he was outstanding at it. And now he's elevated to where he, he is today. Grand Slam champion in New Japan Pro Wrestling, an international superstar, now featured in feuds with CM Punk on AEW television, national cable television pro wrestling promotion. So, if Dominic had even a fraction of what Jay White is capable of doing, this probably would have been a lot more entertaining. But he's got no idea on how to fill in the blanks between moves, on how to stall and get the crowd to react to him. He has no connection. He doesn't get it. He's never got it. And he will never get it either. The moment that he's, that people stop booing him ironically, when he and Rhea stop being a thing, and then the irony of this wears off, Dominic is 
up a Shit's Creek without a paddle. And if, if this is what he does, if this is the kind of match that Cody Rhodes drags out of this guy, or at least is told to do, right? I'm going to be fair here, and I'm going to throw a couple of people a couple of bones here because the house style is very limited. You do have to listen to what the agents are telling you. You do have to, you know, uh, you, you do have to comply to a certain format here. If this is what they're told to do, and Dominic can't can't muster anything really interesting, no real heat out of this match. With Cody Rhodes, top babyface Cody Rhodes, a guy who could work with anyone into a fantastic story. If Cody can't do it, I think this is a sign that this is a lost cause. And I think, again, people will point back to the matches that he had during the pandemic era with Seth Rollins when all they had to do every day, all day, were rehearse the matches. Those matches were overly rehearsed. I will point this out again, just in case you're listening for the first time. It doesn't matter that the matches were rehearsed. I don't have a problem with rehearsed matches. Some of your favorite wrestlers rehearsed their matches to a T decades ago. It's not necessarily a problem. It's another approach to pro wrestling. But the fact is that not everyone is going to rehearse the matches. And you won't always have the time to rehearse the matches. Sometimes you're just going to have to go out there. And you're just going to have to do something. This is terrible. It, it was terrible. And then, don't worry folks, bit of a lull in the show, starting to get a little bummed out because you had to sit through a, you had to sit through a, a, a Dominic match that, that lasted, you know, just, just a little over eight and a half minutes. Don't worry. <laughs> Our boy John Cena is going to save the day. He's going to make you jump up and scream because everyone loves John Cena nowadays. He's such a cool guy. And then he comes to the ring and he cuts a promo about getting WrestleMania in London, which fires up the crowd, right? Who wouldn't want WrestleMania in London? You paid tickets to go see Money in the Bank. A WWE PLE. One would assume that you are the target audience for WrestleMania. You come in, you say, how about bringing WrestleMania to London? I don't think anyone's going to stay seated. And Grayson Waller comes out and he cuts a promo on making a case for Australia. You know, and I'm like, okay. what? And of course, gets booze, right? I did, did, I wasn't aware that Australia was heels. I didn't know they were the heel. Did you guys, gals, non-binary pals know this? This is, I didn't know Australia was heels. Anyway, but you know, they're, they're doing this thing and, and, but you know, Cena lights this crowd up, right? I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but you know, I myself was like, oh, okay, this is, this is fun. And this is fun for the audience to get a surprise like this. And they're clearly, listen, he starts talking about, you know, like I said, you know, he, the whole crux here was, wouldn't it be nice to bring WrestleMania to London? And I'm like, 
Yeah, of course it would be. Uh, of, of course it would be. Um, so, um, the, um, but I'm thinking, it's like, when are we doing this, right? When is this going to happen? Like, it's Philadelphia next year, right? And then in 2025 for WrestleMania 41, I believe the big, uh, the big thing, the, big, the, 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 the top runner right now is Minneapolis, if, I'm, if memory serves me right. And I feel, and I, it seems to me, I've seen that Nashville was being considered seriously for 2026. So objectively, we've already had the next three years in the can. So this wouldn't actually go until maybe, maybe 2027, maybe. That doesn't mean the plans change, right? I'm not saying that, you know, Minneapolis and Nashville are, uh, you know, are shoe-ins. But it does seem like it's a little further down the line than what it may seem. I d it's absolutely not for next year. But so I'm looking at this and I'm listening to this and I'm watching the crowd reaction and I'm like, look, there is no way. There is no way that John Cena was flown in just to do this and go home. And I, and I, was, and I was thinking about this and I was like, there, there is, it makes no sense for Hollywood superstar John Cena to get on a transatlantic flight. It's not as if he's flying from fucking, you know, Sacramento to Austin, Texas. You know, we're doing a transatlantic flight here. From California, most likely. I mean, why, why did they bring him in? They're probably, they probably are indeed courting officials, right? Because this is, don't, don't forget what the what the plan is what the, the the what the plan is for WWE going abroad it is to get in contact with local governments so that they can shell out money they can give uh, so that they can give uh, 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 subsidies to WWE to bring their event and attract tourism right or whatever they did it in Wales they did it in Puerto Rico they've been doing it for years in Saudi Arabia and that's a whole another can of worms, but that's still the basic idea. And now they're do they want to do it. That's probably what they were doing in London, right? I'm seeing Vince McMahon, Nick Khan. I don't know Vince, but look, Nick Khan being there, it's like, and then bringing in John Cena to come shake some hands. He didn't just put on jorts, walk in and walk out. He was probably involved in meetings, shaking hands with officials and important people and business people, and everyone starstruck. Because it's big time superstar, you know, DC Universe's peace, peacemaker, John Cena here. Hob, they're hobnobbing with the Hollywood types. That's what you do in these types of situations. Schmoozing, putting your best foot forward, showing your connections, getting the people that you're trying to extract the money out of to be flabbergasted, to be like, wow, look at this. I'm here with John Cena. Can I take a... Can we take a selfie? Click, click. My son loves you. Whatever. Could you sign this at? That's, this is par for the course. This is basic, basic shit. And they're not doing it with, you know, The Undertaker. They're not doing it with Randy Orton. They're doing it with fucking John Cena. 
So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it. And the next thing we know, courtesy, of course, once again, of Brandon Thurston over at WrestleNomics, the weekly WrestleNomics uh, um, uh, uh, commercial ad, subscribe today. Brandon Thurston releases, finds out, discovers, shares to the world that the BBC ran an article on John Cena's UK WrestleMania plea being backed by MPs, right? Which are like uh, senators, I guess. Maybe not senators. Members of the House. Look, I don't know what the direct comparison is. I'm, you know, the the American political system still uh, cracks my brain sometimes. Um, so basically, in this article here, they're 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 talking. The, the BBC talked to a group of MPs who are trying to help make WrestleMania coming to uh, coming to the UK a reality. Alex Davies Jones is the co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group, the APPG, on wrestling and says legendary grappler-turned-Hollywood actor Cena's appearance was a real shock. Quote, Nobody predicted John Cena coming out and announcing the possibility of a WrestleMania in the UK, she tells BBC Newsbeat. It was utterly incredible and got the whole place buzzing with excitement about the possibilities of what it could mean for wrestling fans, but also for the UK economy and also for future fans as well. See, it, it, it's blatant and transparent here. This is like this was a a, a PR play on one hand, because there's another there's another side to this, which I'll get to in a second. But the PR plan here was very, very clear is that. Uh, the the, uh, 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 the 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 plan here was that is, is that they wanted a PR stunt to show general public, hey, you know what? This could be a big time event, and people would be very excited about it, right? When asked about it after the show, one of triple one of WWE's bosses, Triple H, said, "Quote: Never say never." Like the the most Triple H quote. He says that all the time. Says it's a lot more difficult than it appears. Uh, sure. The APPG have always have already been talking about how we can help to make that happen in which in whatever way we can in terms of facilitating some conversations. That's a lot of that's a lot of but what what they are saying is that. This WrestleMania thing that they're working on is probably closer to a reality than it is. They would not be going out there doing this kind of shit if it wasn't, if they didn't have something at least. Uh, not saying that there's a deal settled, but the doors are more than open. There has been communication and there have been real talks and they are probably very close to something here. Whatever we can do to make the UK attractive to host wrestling on the world stage, we are more than happy to help facilitate. Since when have we started using like jargon used for the Olympics or Formula One for world wrestling entertainment, for pro wrestling? Is it, this is the same type of verbiage that would be used if the UK was trying to get the Olympics, if London was trying to get the Olympics again. 
think about it. Listen, like, listen. I'm going to just substitute one word. I'm going to read the entire statement she just gave here. This, uh, this MP, this uh, 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 Alex Davy Jones. We would use our contacts, our contact and negotiating skills to try and reach out to the Olympics, making conversations happen to try and promote the UK as a premier destination for world-class sports. And the WWE is not going to go unless they get government funding, unless someone is paying for the show. Do you realize how insane that is? They're going to go to... You give us the box, we'll go, and then, yeah, we'll keep ticket revenue too on top of that. Uh, we're, we're all good. That's crazy. But this is what Brandon adds to this. We know WWE got $1.5 for holding backlash in Puerto Rico and undisclosed incentives for Clash at the Castle in Cardiff and Royal Rumble in San Antonio. Orlando will offer $850,000 toward a bid for Rumble 2024. WrestleMania is almost certainly won by cities through bidding. The Cena segment was seemingly meant to elicit, exact, to elicit exactly this response, meaning the response of the MPs, and media chatter like the article from the BBC above. Now, I want you to take a step back here. I want you to think about something. Chat. My listeners, my viewers, the A-plus audience listening to the D-list podcast. I want you to think about what Brandon just said. And I want you to expand the context a little bit. I want you to expand a little bit. Why would WWE now, in July of 2023, why would they feel like they needed to get some buzz and some chatter in the UK? Why do you think? I'm going to give you a second here to think about it. Why? Because look, as we were saying, probably the next three manias are all set. This wouldn't probably happen until 2027, we were saying, right? It's a long way down the road. So why now? Why specifically now? Does WWE, why is WWE looking, craving for attention, media attention in the UK? And chat got it right. Because currently, All Elite Wrestling is about to sell out Wembley Stadium. All Elite Wrestling, a startup wrestling promotion that is barely five years old is going to waltz into one of the biggest sporting arenas in the world and is going to sell it out. Uh, Warren, yes, uh, they have not sold out uh, the uh, Wembley Stadiums. It is a 90,000 capacity. Are you cuckoo? Uh, they have not done it. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because WrestleTix today was reporting that currently right now, the latest update of uh of sales of tickets have Wembley packed in at 74,000 tickets distributed the current setup for the arena is 87,000 so they've bumped it up probably very close 
to the maximum that Wembley can hold while AEW can still have some sort of stage and some production uh, and a production area to, to actually shoot the goddamn thing. 74,888 74, tickets distributed for a max capacity of 87,000 plus right now. And this can still change. And how many matches have been announced for the Wembley show? Zero. Not a single match has been announced. And AEW is about to fill up Wembley Stadium. So of course, WWE, who keep telling us, oh, there's no competition. Fuck you. Again, you're proving us right. Come out mid-July for five years removed from ever being ever being close to a WrestleMania. And I know the bidding processes are long. I understand that. But you don't start put they didn't do anything like this in Nashville. They didn't do anything like this in Minneapolis. They just came out and announced it. For Philadelphia, I should say. For Philadelphia, they just came out and said, hey, it's in Philly next year, by the way. Woo! High fives everywhere. They didn't come out and have John Cena do some grandstanding moment. No, 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 no. Two birds with one stone here. Create the chatter, get the MPs talking, get some public, so, so, some groundswell of support behind this while removing some attention from AEW. While saying, hey, you know what? We can still do this. We can bring the greatest wrestling event of all time. Of you know, We can bring this to you because we're WWE. Of course they're doing this. Th they're doing this to take some shine away from AEW, to muddy the waters, so that whenever AEW pops in and starts doing media, oh, the write-ups will always include a little something about, oh, but WWE mentioned they wanted to bring WrestleMania. Count on it. Count on it. Because that's what a good journalist will do. A good journalist will write up the thing and say, oh, you know, and there are the upstarts and there competing against the 50-year-old World Wrestling Entertainment Company and uh, th that has teased that they might be bringing their star-studded event, WrestleMania. And, you know, that's exactly what's going to happen. All of these waters are going to be muddied because of this. And you're naive if you don't think that's what to happen. If you don't think that's what that, for, that was for. I saw people saying, no, it was to give Grayson Waller a rub. Grayson Waller got fuck all. He didn't get a rub. That's not a rub. That, that's not, that's the anti-definition of a rub. He got, John Cena beat the shit out of him. That's not a rub. That is the opposite of what a rub is. Grayson Waller was just there. He was the heel du jour. He was the Australian. He was the guy coming in. Because Australia on top of that has been rumored to want to host a WrestleMania on top of all of that, right? So Australia, it was, it was just, a, it was an angle wrapped into a rah-rah message, wrapped into a media, uh, a media plan, a PR strike against AEW. It just served a bunch of purposes. And I'm not saying that was the only reason they did it, but I, I, am, I would say that this is one of the main reasons they did it. But no, people will keep telling me 
that, oh, no, 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 there is no competition. WWE doesn't see AEW as competition. <laughs> oh, they fucking do. They really fucking do. They really, really do. They are about to sell out. AEW is about to sell out. Uh, AEW is about to sell out Wembley. They're about to have a, a, an $8.5 million gate. Probably more by the way things are going. And all these tickets, whatever's left, once they start announcing matches, they're out the door. They're gone. They're gonna have, you're going to have people coming in from all across Europe. They're going to be uh, you know, crossing the channel, flying in. They're going to be leaving the European Union to go to Great Britain to, to watch the show. That's just inevitable at this point. This is a success for AEW and WWE can't stand it. And they're going to come in and they're going to make sure that when they come back with WrestleMania, that it is the largest WrestleMania gate. That it's the largest wrestling gate in the history of Europe. Because they can't stand it. Because they don't want to be second or third on these types of things. And if you don't think this doesn't matter to them, just look at what happened here. Plus, there's precedent. There, is, there are decades upon decades upon decades of precedent. And clearly, it's not because... WWE is certain is, is is about to be is about to merge with UFC into this new company. Well, not merge with UFC, but merge into a new company alongside UFC. Clearly, they're not changing their their tactics. They're not going to change the way they they operate. It's still the same fucking thing. Zelina Vega versus Becky Lynch. <laughs> Versus Zoe Stark versus Bailey versus Io Shirai versus Trish Stratus in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. A ladder match that was won by Io Shirai. Io Sky, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, here's the thing. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's like, I followed this woman for years one of the greatest pro wrestlers out there today. I've always called her Io Shirai. Now they decide to change her name up to Io Sky and it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not as if this woman had zero name recognition to me as if there was nothing to this. No, she, was, she has always been a legend in Japanese women's wrestling. A fantastic wrestler, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Not just women, best wrestlers in the world. It's like if suddenly, you know, it's like, no, he's not Wayne Gretzky anymore. His name is uh, Chuck Ledour. No, it's, I'm still going to call him Wayne Gretzky, but please call him Chuck Ledour. Nope. It's Wayne Gretzky. Anyway, I enjoyed this uh, ladder match with the women. I thought the work here was more interesting than in the men's. Uh, overall, again, I can't emphasize this enough. If you liked it more than me, you probably did. Because again, ladder matches. But uh, listen, uh, Trish Stratus needs to get out of the ring or get back to training. Um, you know, the nostalgia thing is fantastic. The nostalgia thing is what's carrying Trish Stratus, right? And can we're gonna have an honest talk here? We're gonna have a, a little moment, a little moment of, of of clairvoyance, not clairvoyance. That's not the thing. Of 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 clarity. We're gonna have a moment of clarity, you and I, right now. 
Trish Stratus was never a great pro wrestler. And I don't care how much you want to twist this and, 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 and move this around. She was never, even at her prime, she was never a great pro wrestler. I think she was a perfectly competent, fine pro wrestler. She was never great. We can argue good. I, if you ask me, she was fine. Trish Stratus's contribution to pro wrestling is immense. Tre tremendous. And you cannot take that away from her. This is someone who was brought in to be eye candy. Just, oh, you're a fitness model. Come be a fitness model accompanying these douchebags around. And she starts doing that. But then at some point, she's like, you know what? I want to do this like the boys do. <laughs> you're just a pretty face. Well, she puts in the work. And you can never take that away from her. She puts in the work. She had never been trained as a pro wrestler until she joined WWE and was like, motherfucker, I'm going to start wrestling. And she did indeed break down doors and change perceptions where she was like, you can be a pretty face plus you can kick ass. That is something that is, that, that is something that had been in North American pro wrestling had been unprecedented to that point. Vince in the 90s had Asha Kong, he had Medusa, and he had uh, 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 Bull Nakano in his midst. He had them in his hands and couldn't figure out what to do with them. And these were all great pro wrestlers. Trish had the entire package. She had the body, she had the face, she had the sex appeal, plus she could kick ass. But she was never a great wrestler. So if she's coming back 20 years, 30 years removed from that era, hasn't wrestled in over a decade, like outside of her one match with Charlotte, that one SummerSlam. And you're going to expect her to run matches, full matches and be, be able to keep up. And I still maintain exactly what I was saying last week because it doesn't change a thing as to what I was thinking about, what I was saying last week, where I think it is cool that legends, women Hall of Famers can get these opportunities just like the dudes do to come back and wrestle some more. But we got we to gotta come to grips with, with Trish here. With Trish, we're more of a, she's more of a, uh, uh, she is, she's closer to a sting situation than she is, I don't know, an edge situation. Where edge despite his problems, can still go, can still hang in a match. Sting needs a little more smoke and mirrors. He isn't trying to do 1990 Sting shit. He's just throwing himself off tables and getting the, uh, get, get, getting the, uh, the safety police riled up. That's what Trish should be doing. She should get the safety police riled up. A lot of them got riled up when she hit the turnbuckle hard. Oh my God, it's pro wrestling, motherfuckers. Anyway. I don't know. I think, I, I think we have to come to grips with this fact and we have to realize that, you know, Trish was never good to begin with and we can't expect her to be good at this stage with her being gone so long from pro wrestling and for the business to have evolved in the way it's, it has 
I, we can't expect her to to have kept up with all of this. It's it's unrealistic. So we should stop putting her in these types of situations where she exposes herself and ultimately starts gnawing at her legacy. Io Shirai wins this match and I think it was the right choice. You can't always depend on the four horse women. This is something I've been battering on for the better part of 18 months it feels. You can't always depend on the four horse women. You just can't. Um, not because they're not dependable. It's just at some point you have to be able to move on. You can only go back so many times to the to the Bailey, Becky, Charlotte triangle because Sasha's not around anymore. So we have, and they're doing a pretty good job. Not going to lie. We've got Bianca, who's clearly established as a gal. We have Rhea, who is clearly established as a gal. Um, the jury is out in my case in regards to Oscar. Uh, I don't know if Oscar is considered to be a gal because they've waffled on her so much. I think Io Shirai is uh, one of those. I don't know who continues to try to make us believe that Zelina Vega is a pro wrestler, but they have to stop. Did you notice? She came in with a flag when she walked in. I mean, it worked so well the last time. She and uh, I really liked the match when it started to pick. It started to pick up with uh, Zoe Stark when she had the handcuffs. Good worker, Zoe Stark. She was a standout in NXT. And then, the, the, you know, the times that I reviewed and I, I've always talked very... I've always spoken very highly of her. She's a fucking good worker. She should have been on main a while ago. I'm glad she is now. She's she's very, very, very good. And there's some brawling on the floor. Zelina does a code red off a ladder into another ladder, which was a cool spot. Um, and Io gets the handcuffs, cuffs Bailey and Becky uh, through the ladder so that she can climb uninterrupted to victory. I thought that was a pretty creative end. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Seth freaking Rollins successfully retained the World Heavyweight Championship against Finn Balor. This was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Pretty good. I think, in fact, this was a really good Monday Night Raw main event. It didn't feel like a pay-per-view match. It wasn't. It it lacked that that it lacked pizzazz. It lacked main event. It lacked pay-per-view ple pizzazz. That's what I'm going to start referring to it. Ple pizzazz. But I thought I thought the match was was pretty enjoyable. I had a lot of fun watching it. It's the kind of match that if you, you you think about, what if this had happened in 2010, 2012? Christ, that would have ruled. Anyway, Damien Priest comes in to, to tease a cash-in, I guess. Uh, Finn Balor stomps Seth Rollins off the table, then off the stairs, gets him back in the ring, goes up top for the coup de grace. And uh, Priest distracts, which allows Seth to avoid the coup de grace and get the stomp for the win. 
This is why I said this is a pretty good Monday Night Raw main event because it's a very Monday Night Raw finish. Look at what look at what happened on Raw last night. It was Finn now that fucked things up for Damian Priest or whatever. It's like who Dominic. I fucked ultimately fucked things up for Dominic, but Damian Priest was cashing in or was teasing the cash in, right? Because the match had already ended. He forced a DQ. And and then Priest starts beating the tar out of out of Seth because you can feel it. He's going to cash in. But then he comes to cash in. And then Finn Balor runs in to beat up on uh, Seth some more. And then Seth regains his energy because the guys are arguing. And then he leaves. It is the, the end of the Judgment Day. And then the main event, the Bloodline Civil War. Where the Usos defeated Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Uh, I didn't think this match was really that special. But I guess this is meaningful for WWE fans. I really wasn't into it. And I've not been into the Bloodline angle for a while. And I don't think... And, and I think this match was a very good... What are they on now? SmackDown? A very good SmackDown main event. But it did not feel... It, it, it didn't come across as this excellent match. The false finish has gotten me a few times. I'm not going to lie. But then we got the clockwork Roman match ref bump. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Jay kicks out of a spear and lands a splash for the win. I mean, look. There's nothing inherently wrong with the match. But, again, like, this is, I'm not into this. I'm not into this story, this, you know, critical, all-important story. I'm not into it because it's been the same rinse and repeat story they've been telling for the better part of two years at this point, if not three. From the moment Jimmy got into the got into the portraiture here, it's been the same story over and over again. So don't get me wrong. I want to make something very clear here. This is a big deal. For Jay Uso, okay? We're going to make this very, very clear. First guy to pin Roman Reigns' shoulders flat on the mat in three and a half years, I believe. That's a big deal. That is a notch to his career that, that will only always be his. It's not a title. It's not a... That's something... That was worked up until this point so that Jay would be the guy to pin Roman after this, you know, this whole Ulster cycle came to uh, came to fruition. And it's not even done yet because they're doing the trial of Roman Reigns on SmackDown this week. Another fucking trial. This is the new... You remember? This is your life. You remember when The Rock... 
and, and Mankind, Mick Foley did that, and that was a lot of fun. And then they tried to do it with Bailey and Alexa, and it was a miserable experience, right? This is pure WWE. Hey, remember that one time we did that one thing that was really special because of everyone that was involved? Let's try and do it again, but with some of the missing components. Is this what we're going to do? We're going to do the exact same thing. We're, we're going we're gonna to try retreading all of this. Why does professional wrestling love paperwork and, 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 and procedures on television so much? Trials, contracts, all this bullshit. You know, uh, 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 contract signings and uh, what's the other one? Depositions and, and uh, restraining orders. Why does pro wrestling love this shit so much on TV? I fucking hate paperwork in real life. I don't want more paperwork in my entertainment, in my brainless entertainment. So listen. Again, I don't want to... If you're, if you're into the bloodline stuff, God bless you. And I'm sure that you found something here that you're like, and you're probably screaming at your, your monitor. Or you're holding your phone like this and you're going, hey, you mother. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, wrestling, we can all enjoy different things in pro wrestling. And that's, that's just fine. But I can't get, like, this match didn't carry quite the weight that someone who's into this did. So as someone who comes in and wants to see a, a main event wrestling match, this under-delivered. I don't think this was a very good main event. It was fine. It was a good little match. Like I said, it was a good SmackDown main event. And yes, the ending, spectacular. Great, you know, a little Surprising? I wouldn't say so. I kind of expected this to happen. I think the opposite would have surprised me. This was like, okay. And at least it makes sense. Just because I'm not surprised doesn't mean it's bad. Au contraire, I'm like, yeah, okay. This one, you you shot this one right down the road. That's good. And good for Jey Uso. Because this indeed is going to be a huge, um, it's going to be a huge deal for him. You know what I can't help thinking about before we just move on here? What I can't help thinking about is how we will never know. It's when I see matches like this, and I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. We will never know, really, how good the Usos are as a tag team. We will never really know. We have a whole world out there of extraordinary, world-class, top-tier tag teams wrestle each other, cross promotions, inside the same promotions that just deliver these excellent matches. And... Talent exchanges and people going at each other. And you're like, this is fantastic. But the Usos will have always been big fish in a small pond. It's not a knock on them. That's how WWE treats its tag team division. We all know this, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, exposing anything here. We all know this. WWE doesn't care about its tag teams. So what do we do here? And have them fight the same people over and over and over again. And, and now they're not even fighting tag teams anymore. They're just fighting Roman and, you know, two singles guys. We will never know how they would rank up against, of course, the Young Bucks, right? 
or a full-blown FTR or uh, or a Lucha Brothers. You know, everyone always keeps going on, oh, you know, the Bucks and, and the Usos for obvious reasons, yes, but my dream match would be the Lucha Bros and the Usos. And that would be a hell of a test. Or Aussie Open. Fucking even Jay White and Juice these days. Bishamon, Catch 2-2. Like there are so many incredible high level tag teams out there in the world. And the Usos are stuck in this, in this cosm that they have created for them. And we will never truly know. They will always be a top tag team. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they suck. They will always be a top tag team, but we will never truly know how good they will they they could have been, how good they truly are because of the way WWE operates. Anywho, this all seems to be leading us to SummerSlam, where we are probably going to get Roman versus Jay in the main event and Cody versus Brock 3, which is something Again, which was expected. And Brock showed up last night on Raw. And uh, this is what we're doing now. So, Roman versus Jay. And I'll be completely honest with you. I would not have been, I would not be surprised in the least if Roman decided to drop the title to Jay. I've talked about this. Decides to drop the title to Jay. Jay got the pinfall. In the tag team match. So I think that's sort of, I think that's your indication that he's not winning at SummerSlam, Jay is. But I think Roman winning, I think Roman hanging on to the title at WrestleMania was, it, it, I could see it being his call, him exercing some form of creative control and saying, this is not the time, brother. I'm going to drop it to my, family i'm gonna drop it to my blood which would be jay uso i would i'm not saying that's what happened i'm not saying roman exercised creative control i'm it's a it's a theory i'm proposing this i think it would make sense is what i'm trying to say then jay uso winning the title because he's an ooze because he's family you see but He's not the guy. He's not one of the guys, Jey Uso is. He's a guy, but not one of the guys. Earlier last week, or late last week, I should say, New Japan Professional Wrestling put out a statement. They put out a little thing, a tweet, and a post on njpw1972.com entitled, Rewa Three Musketeers Formed. What is this all about? Three Musketeers. Wait, I've heard about this in pro wrestling in New Japan as well. This is uh, something interesting. Let, let's go see what they're talking about. Well, we got ourselves some new Three Musketeers. See, let me read the thing. In recognition of their quick ascension in the ranks of New Japan pro wrestling and clear desire to lead a new generation within NJPW, Shota Umino, Ren Narita, and Yoda Suji will together be officially named the Rewa Three Musketeers. The distinction harkens back to 1988 where Masahiro Chono, Shinya Hashimoto, and Kaiji Muto 
were named the original Three Musketeers of the Fighting Spirit. As rivals and partners, the three spearheaded New Japan Pro Wrestling at the end of Japan's Showa period and into the Heisei era. 2004 would see Hiroshi Tanahashi, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Katsuyuri Shibata labeled the new Three Musketeers, with each becoming indelible figures in New Japan Pro Wrestling history. Reflecting the current Reiwa period in Japan under its current emperor, Suji, Umino, and Narita will now be considered the Reiwa Three Musketeers. With hopes high for all three, they look forward to your continued support. To celebrate this distinction, Suji, Yumino, and Narita will all soon be available to play in the New Japan Strong's New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Spirits mobile game. Holy shit! What a celebration! Oh, let's by God! The new three musketeers gonna be in the gonna be playable in the in the mobile game. Hooey! So, first and foremost, let's get this out of the way. The, the Reiwa, Reiwa is the current era of Japan's official calendar. It began on May 1st, 2019, the day on which Emperor Akihito's son, elder son, ascended to the throne as the 126th Emperor of Japan. Uh, so, uh, bringing to an end the previous era, the Heisei era and um and and there you go and and, and the the ministry of foreign of foreign affairs of japan explained the meaning of reiwa to be quote unquote beautiful harmony so that's why that, that's why we're we're tacking this 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 reiwa uh stuff onto the these musketeers so uh so this is interesting right uh, from, before we get into the reactions, I think it's interesting because uh, in in all of these circumstances here, with with uh, the the original three musketeers, with uh, the, the the second musketeers, and now these guys, these were all indeed significant milestones in in in, in different eras of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and the you know the the the, the second trio, uh, Tanahashi. Na, uh, Nakamura and Shibata uh, were all sort of they, they were they were brought into this position they, they, they were named as such sort of to um, to hearken a new era but Inoki was still around at that point and eventually those three guys well particularly Nakamura and, and, and Tanahashi would help would not only carry New Japan on their back particularly Tanahashi but would usher in a uh w they would try to um divest new japan of enochism which had been a complete and utter flop uh and uh and these three musketeers were there to revitalize um were there to revitalize new japan of course shibata had you know, his trajectory wasn't as simple he left new japan for a while eventually came back so he uh and 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 you know chono uh, Muta or Muto and um, uh, and uh, 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 why am I afraid? Uh, Hashimoto uh, 
were also guys who were part of an era which was very crucial when things in, Jap in Japan were, you know, splintering more. Uh, there were, the, the, the competition between all Japan and New Japan was still uh, was quite strong. So there were. It seems like these Musketeer appellations seem to pop up when uh, the business isn't not necessarily going to say in the hole. I think it was really bad in 2004, right up to, you know, late the late 2000s. I think it was really bad. I think that really was a, a, a down period. But it seems like whenever there's a, a, a true transitional period, then we start talking about uh, the Musketeers and how they will and how they'll carry the business uh, of New Japan forward uh, and will lay uh, on these gentlemen's shoulders. So, you know, you think back at Hashimoto, Chono, Muto. These were guys that indeed, uh, that indeed New Japan uh, laid its foundations upon. They were key components throughout the 90s until a lot of them, well, you know, like Kaiji Muto eventually left. Uh, look, I'm not going to get into the entire history here. But, you know, these are guys that, that everything did uh, fall upon their shoulders. Um, Nakamura, Tanahashi, Shibata, for different reasons, were in 2004 were made this. But their role became much more significant and they did really carry the company. Like I said, particularly Nakamura and even more so Tanahashi. Once, uh, once it was time to divest themselves of Enochiism and bring a little more Western flavor to New Japan than what was previously, what had been previously seen for the past decade or so, which was, you know, guys coming into wrestling little black boots and black trunks. You know, guys like Tanahashi and Nakamura, you can, you can see it even to this day. It's all about spectacle and art, artistry and, 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 and pageantry. There's the exact word I was looking for. Um, so they brought that a little in. They, they were able to bring that in, couple that with great athleticism, which helped rise New Japan to uh, to a fantastic decade in the 2010s. COVID hits. Uh, Japan wrestling, puro in, in wrestling, sinks. Uh, nothing's going well. And now we're finally getting out of... Uh, restrictions and in Japan the restrictions were around longer than they were here and there's still places in Japan that observe them uh, but the restrictions are much more were much more rigorously enforced in here and it's only been it's has it even barely been a year since we've had since we've started getting crowds back and full capacity crowds has been just a question we're, we're still talking in terms of months at this point it, it, it hasn't been it hasn't been an easy return from the pandemic for New Japan and for Puro in general. But since we're talking about New Japan here, you know, they're, they're not hitting the historical gates that they had previous to this, to when, to the time before the pandemic hit. Uh, they're doing good gates, I guess, but nothing close to what was happening previously. So look at what we're doing here now. In this era right now, in this year in New Japan, where everything is wacky and wild, and we are uh, going hard on these new kids, you know, trying to to boost some, uh, trying to, to to boost and 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 push some new talent, some new faces. Oh, then suddenly we got ourselves a new set of musketeers to go along with it. So it kind of fits the vibe 
to a certain degree where you where where it's like well this is a transitional period in new japan once again and so we're 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 elevating we're nominating some of the some of the new and upcoming talent that will carry this company for the next x number of years now the reaction to this has been interesting to say the least uh Shota Umino hit hit Twitter and uh, you know took full advantage of the uh, of his um, of uh, of his uh, uh, blue checkmark status to put out a, a rather long statement, basically saying that he, basically rejecting it, basically saying that it's disrespectful to the original uh, Musketeers to uh, to do this, you know, and he was uh, he he's not enthralled by this idea of being. Uh, of having this label being put on him. Yoda Suji rejected it as well. You know, saying that he is much above that that he is much above his two the, the two others that are associated with him, right? He said, you know, he's not on the level much he's on a much higher level than Mox's shinbiter and Shibata's imitation bastard. These are not my words, these are his from the translation. Ren Narita said he was never consulted on this. Um, so, you know, the, the, the guys have, the, the, the principals have, uh, have reacted very poorly to this, uh, have, you know, outright, uh, rejected it. And, um, well, a lot of the locker room as well reacted a little strangely to this and going, oh, really? Okay. This is what we're doing. And well, what if this is kind of a strange and so on and so forth. Right. Um, now the the big question that's been going around is you know it's like is this is this reaction you know is this reaction a shoot right and a lot of people have been um uh have been saying you know that, oh this is a disaster you know new japan puts this out and uh and their talent uh you know outright are rejecting it they are saying that this is not a good idea we don't want anything to do with this new musketeers bullshit Keep it to yourselves, kind of thing, um, and you know, New Japan is not necessarily um, not doesn't necessarily have a great reputation for communicating things well with its talent. That's been a problem that's been around for for years. So if Ren Narita says, "I was never told, I was never consulted," and the two other guys are acting like they're they've been caught off guard. It's an easy story to swallow. You can you can absolutely go. Well, I mean this this coincides with what we know about New Japan. They just say things, and it's like, well, well, we said it now. Ah, here's the thing. But <laughs> I. I don't know how much of a I don't know how much of a shoot this is, and, and I'll tell you why. Because, as mentioned in the in, in the the statement that New Japan put out when they talked about uh, the the original Musketeers, the the original three Musketeers of the Fighting Spirit, as rivals and partners, the three spearheaded. New Japan at the end of Japan's Showa period and into the Heisei era. Now, 
that's good and all. You know, but what, what we need to underscore is, you know, rivals and partners. And what have these guys been doing here? They've been basically taking shots at each other. Suji specifically. And, and Ren Narita's been snapping back. You know, Ren outright saying, I am better than these two other clowns. And the two other clowns going, hey, hang on a second here, pal. And the rest of the locker room getting in on it. Going, uh, not sure that these kids are ready. What the fuck is this shit kind of thing? I'll tell you one thing. In an environment, in a, in a, in pro wrestling, where you are supposed to create environments for conflict and feuds. This has been perfect for creating conflicts and feuds. I don't think this is mis a miscalculation. I don't think this is a disaster. Au contraire, I think this is working out magnificently. Because the idea is to create disharmony. Why do you want to create disharmony? So that you can create stories, opportunities, angles, whatever you want to call it, for all these people to fight each other. How many times is this going to be referenced over the G1 now and beyond? Oh, you're one of the three. Can you imagine Kazuchika Okada coming out? Like, I know he's got none of these guys in his bracket, but later down the line, Let's say he's fighting Shota Umino, with, which I still think is going to be the Wrestle, the Wrestle Kingdom program. He comes out and, oh, look at you, one of the musketeers. You think you're so special, right? And even Ren and Suge, if they want to go at it, let them go at it. This is good. It's great. Let's go. It's drama. It's a work. And ultimately what it means is it generates interest. It generates ticket sales. That's what you want. Gabriel Kidd got in on this. Called them bitches. Oh, it just so happens Gabriel Kidd during the G1 is in the exact same block as these guys. G Willikers, isn't this isn't this all so fucking coincidental? But yet I have I've seen people, people I like, people whose opinions usually like make sense to me. I saw people reacting to this and saying, what a disaster of an announcement. I can't believe that New Japan, that New Japan put this out here and didn't consult. And uh, yeah, you know, the rejection of, by the, the, young, the young fellas says a lot about, you know, how much of a sloppy shop they're running and stuff like that. I'm like, wait a second. What are we doing? This is pro wrestling. You're, what, these people should be lying to us. I don't want to know if Ren Narita was really in on it or not. At this point, I don't give a shit. Because this is the fact that Ren Narita's like, I don't know what's going on, but by the way, Yoda Suji, you're a big fat fuck. And Yoda Suji goes around and says, oh yeah, you're Shibata's little bastard. I'm like, this is great. Don't you get it? This is fantastic. So people think this backfired is nonsense. This is beautiful. It just comes down to a point, something that I'm starting to realize more and more. And, and, and we have the proof here. People, 
my glasses back on. People, wrestling fans, don't want to get worked. They don't. They don't want to get into something. They want to pull up blinders. They want to pull up walls. Be like, hang on a second. I got to make sure that there's a... Instead of just embracing this for what it is, a fantastic, fantastic angle. The reaction, the reaction is what's making this special. Not the fact that, oh, we have our three musketeers here. That, that's one thing. But the fact that people are getting mad at it, that, you know, the locker room is getting in on it. That is what is what making this, it's what making this juicy. And this is going to carry for a while. This is the kind, this is the kind of context that New Japan feuds are built on, that Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly will be referencing over and over again in commentary. Well, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, there was this one time that uh, Yoda Suji tweeted this out about Ren Narita, and now Ren Narita and him, they're at odds, and this is it. But people don't want to get worked. It's as if you, if you get worked, you're a mark. And mark is a dirty word, it always has been, don't get me wrong. But no one wants to be a mark. But you don't have to be a mark. You can just buy into this. You can look at this and go, this is fucking fantastic. Why would I not want to jump into this? We've got three young guys right now who are, who just were thrown into a situation of such high pressure. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of pressure that's going to come with this, with this appellation, with this trio's with this trio being being branded as such because of the history because of the people who have carried that mantle so there's a lot of pressure on them to live up to there's a his there's history to live up to so i'm not just sitting here saying this angle is great like don't get me wrong this is a lot of pressure on all three all three of these guys but what do you think that means from the office what do you think that means from the bookers, from ghetto and such. It means they have faith in these three guys. This is New Japan saying, keep an eye on these three dudes because these, these guys are on our path for the future. They are, they, they are making the path, I should say, for the future. It's going to be built with these three dudes right here. So, if anything, this is a, a, a fantastic mark of, 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 of trust, of confidence. And one that you, it's like, yeah, let's get into it. Let's see how this goes. We already knew. We already knew that they had plans for Shota Umino. We, look, Yoda Suji comes back from excursion. The first match he gets back is a world title shot. Doesn't wrestle a lick before that on New Japan. On any warm-up show, nothing. His first match back is a world title shot. And Ren Narita, Ren Narita might have been the one that recently you're like, well, maybe they're, sh they're shifting gears on Narita. But no, 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 they're going all in. They're going all in on these three guys. So it's a mark of confidence and it's a mark of what's to be expected in the future for New Japan. And that's exciting. That's good. That's cool stuff. But look, I'm not going to rule out the fact that it's a shoot. 
But I'm not going to sit here and try to twist this into some, you know, weirdo conspiracy theory. I'm not going to sit here and try to spin spin this around like it's some, you know, CM Punk level kind of, uh, you know, uh, obtuse promo trying to figure out who's saying what and what it's trying to, what we're trying to say and what's really going on. <clears throat> I think it, it's just as basic as these three guys being selected, being thrust into this, and they're like, okay, let's build some history, fellas. Let's go. And the locker room getting in on it. Again, maybe as, as a complete part of the work, or maybe there's a little shoot to it where it's like, man, why wasn't it me? Kind of thing. Because, you know, there's, there's, there has to be guys backstage. Or like, man, why are they pushing these three kids so hard when I've xyz for this company for xyz years for sure so you know you can't entirely rule it out but everything that's been front-facing and and here's the here's one thing that i have learned about japanese pro wrestling is that even to this day the kayfabe aspect of things is still much more is still protected, of course, to a degree. But, you know, you'll never see faction mates. You'll never see people in factions hanging with other factions, right? Hanging out, doing things. It'll always be people within their own faction. Um, if they have characters or, or, or particular things, they will always, like, it will always be in kayfabe. To a certain degree, of course. But it's very rare that these things will be challenged out in the open. That's one of the reasons why Kodebushi's breakdown uh, late last year was such a, 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 a caused such a tremor because he was publicly allowing people to peek behind the curtain. And that is something that is extremely frowned upon and is not common practice. And he made some of his friends and allies turn on him because of his behavior. So I wouldn't think Yoda Suji, Shota Umino, let's go back to Shota, who is one of the top push guys, one of the top push young guys. I don't think he would risk his spot by outright saying, I disagree with this and it being a shoot. I don't think they'd let Ren Narita, I don't think Ren Narita would risk his spot by going, I wasn't consulted, this is bullshit. Maybe not everyone in the locker room was aware. And I'm not even saying that these three guys were fully aware either. I don't know, like I don't know. But the end result is this is juice. They're squeezing all of that delicious pulpy juice out of that fruit. But man, like sometimes it is okay to be worked and it's okay to get into it and it's okay to just let yourself be taken. You're supposed to feel shit in pro wrestling. That's the thing. And instead of always being on your guard, instead of all, sometimes it's just like, all right, this is pretty dope. This is cool. And I don't think this backfired at all. I don't think this backfired in the, in any way, shape or form. I think it, 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 it gave it created 
uh, probably the best setup that we could have for uh, for some fresh new rivalries the backbone of something that can be chewed on for years I'm excited I, I think this was a great move and I'm excited to see what happens next I really really am as we move on to uh, to some other news across Japan uh, don't forget right after this we are going to be doing our Q&A session so I hope you've got your questions lined up That'll be coming up right after some a few more news tidbits from the world of Japanese pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Kota Ibushi. Just talked about him. Well, he came, uh, he came to the United States, wrestled in GCW. It was his first match since, uh, since leaving New Japan last year but last uh, this past Saturday July 1st it was revealed that Kota Ibushi is going to wrestle for Gleet for Gleet just in a few weeks in August I'm going to read the article off of Post Wrestling here during the Gleet second anniversary show at the Tokyo Dome City Hall, a video aired to promote the appearance of Kota Ibushi on August 4th. No opponent has yet been announced. The appearance slated for August 4th at the Gleet version mega show will take place at uh, Ryogoku. will mark his first match in Japan since leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, there you go, right? Just one. While New Japan is running the G1 Climax, we've got Kota Ibushi heading over to Gleet. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I hope it's El Lindemann that he gets. Current uh, AJPW junior heavyweight champion, right? El Lindemann. So this is a big deal for Gleet. Not going to lie. Because um, Koda is a huge star. Uh, it, will be an inch, it will be very interesting to see what kind of drawing power he still has in Japan. This is going... Because, you know, as mentioned, uh, you know, this is going to be the first Koda Ibushi match that uh, in Japan since leaving New Japan. Uh, and, uh, you know, Gleet is, you know, doing fine, but, you know, by its standards, not by, you know, it, it's not a runaway success by any measure. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the, um, in the advent, in this advent here, where, um, um, uh, uh, where he's basically coming out, com coming out to wrestle his first match. They're absolutely banking on him to be a draw. And Kota Ibushi is one of these wrestlers that has... Um, Kota Ibushi is one of these wrestlers that has a built-in following. You know, very, very rabid fan base. Will they follow him here? So that will also be very interesting to see. I guess that kind of shuts down maybe some, some ideas that some people maybe had been 
having in regards to the elite and uh, I mean no I mean I'm being stupid there's no reason why Kota Ibushi couldn't show up uh, as a surprise for um, for Blood and Guts which I know a lot of people are uh, clamoring for uh, this being <clears throat> since the match is going to be on uh, July 19 in two weeks from now um, he will uh, you know there's plenty of time for him to come over wrestle a couple of times and and head back uh, is this the time that you want to pull the trigger on him or do you want to keep him for something a little bigger because um, look I, I still think it's inevitable that Kota Ibushi and AEW work together you know I'm not saying I'm not going to sit here and tell you that AEW is going to sign Kota Ibushi I would go as far as to say that Kota Ibushi will never sign a wrestling contract ever again. Not an exclusive one, not a long-term one. I don't think he's ever doing it ever again. I think he's going to work dates. He's going to come up with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, per appearance deals, stuff like that. But I think his days of, I, I think he's been soured nice and proper. It's, he, he, he was always squeamish about doing it in the past. And then he does it and it ends rather shittily. I don't think he's going to do it. So if he does work with AEW, uh, I don't think he's uh, going to come in full force. Especially because this is the thing that a lot of people forget, don't know, or have trouble wrapping their head around. New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW truly do have a very good working relationship. It is currently very very good because i'm convinced it is profitable for everyone everyone is making money and everyone is happy in here now the fact that aew is working with new japan and they have such a close relationship and kota ibushi in new japan for all intents and purposes as far as we know did not end their relationship on a good note maybe just maybe Tony Khan is a little, you know, he's a little uh, anxious, a little antsy about uh, jumping into um, jumping into this uh, this the, the, a deal, any kind of deal with Kota Ibushi because he yeah, he doesn't want to piss off uh, Obari and Gato. He just wants to stay cool with those guys. Maybe the New Japan guys are like, hey, you want to hire, you want to bring this guy on? That's fine, just. Don't book him on any shows with our dudes. This is the thing that I find people have trouble wrapping their head around because of the nature, the political nature of these relationships. That's why, I was like, you know, I still saw people being disappointed that Kota Ibushi wasn't on Forbidden Door. And I was like, Forbidden Door? There's no way in hell Kota Ibushi is going to be on this show this year. Like, there, it, that was a false expectation created by people who just who don't, who don't get it, who just don't understand or not aware could be a combination of everything could be a few you know one or two in that in that list but the point here is that uh coda could work with AEW but I think AEW has to jump through a few hoops with their business partners to make sure that everything is uh everything is smooth and maybe you know new japan <clears throat> yeah maybe Maybe New, New Japan 
uh, is asking AEW to concede something. Says, oh, you want to bring this motherfucker in? All right, well, keep him away from our guys. Plus uh, this, give us this guy for this circumstance. That's how it works. It's all negotiations. It's all talk. These are business people, all of them. But I still, rem- despite all the caveats that I still that I just put out here, I still believe that New Japan and um, I still believe New Japan and um, excuse me, I still believe AEW and Kota Ibushi are going to work together at some point. I think it's inevitable. Anyway, in the meantime, Gleet. I don't watch much Gleet. In fact, I don't watch Gleet at all. But, look, I'm likely going to check this show out. I know of certain Gleet wrestlers. I hear a lot of good things. People praise a lot of the work that happens on the show. So, excited to see. Other little tidbit in Japanese news, Utami Hayashishta, former former uh, stardom, <clears throat> world of stardom champion, is going to be heading to North America this week for a series of shows with Game Changer Wrestling. You want to talk about a you want to talk about a curveball? You want to talk about something coming out of left field? You want to talk about something that no one saw coming? One of the faces of stardom, one of their most dominant champions, a woman who is responsible for one of the greatest, one half of the greatest stardom match in the history of the company, Utami Hayashishta, going to be heading over, was announced, uh, I believe yesterday, July 3rd, by Game Changer Wrestling. She will be a part of their uh, July 8 event in Hartford, July 9 with Jersey Championship Wrestling at Ridgefield Park. And then next uh, Saturday, is it Saturday, July 14? At the Melrose Ballroom in New York City. We already know that on July, that this weekend she will be taking on Billy Starks. Good for Billy. Billy, god damn, she's been on a she's been on a roll since graduating. Look at that girl go. Anyway, Hayashishta's coming to GCW. Um, yeah, on July 8th is when she's taking on Billy Starks. Um, at the stardom event this past Sunday at the Budokan, at the Yokohama Budokan, Hayashishta announced that she would be taking a break from Queen's Quest and traveling. So she's traveling to the United States. She's going to come have a little excursion here. Um, Listen, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, look, there is one national promotion that has a very, uh, that has a very clear history of working with other promotions and, and, and talent from, uh, from, across the globe that is all elite wrestling and they finally have an opportunity to pull someone out here they finally have an opportunity to have uh to to bring in 
someone from stardom to wrestle on one of their shows and just blow the roof off. I don't know what could be blocking here. But Utami isn't coming to North America to wrestle three dates in GCW and go home. Like that seems, that seems highly improbable. And I think that right now on whoever's handling or booking probably have, uh, they probably have a, 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 a moratorium on announcing any new bookings, you know, and probably, uh, you know, at the bare minimum, you have her work Ring of Honor, right? Bare fucking minimum. We don't know how long she's going to be in here, be in here, but you one would assume she'll be gone from stardom for a while since she's saying, you know, I'm taking a break from Queen's Quest, her faction, and to travel. It's not just like, hey, you know, I'm taking a break. One would only assume she'd be gone for a while. And I think the opportunity is here. The opportunity is here for um, for AEW to put their money where their mouth is. They're saying, oh, you know, we have talks with stardom and you have such a great relationship and so on and so forth. Well, there you go. You've got it right here. It's served on your plate. She's here. And Utami is fantastic. You know, people love Rio. People love... Uh, love Sheeta and I love them both but Utami's on a fucking other level than those two she is such a complete badass wrestler I think she's the kind that you, she hits the AEW crowd they're going to love her now I'm excited for this I'm excited to see what more comes out of this I'm excited for Billy Starks but Utami hitting North America, woo! Utami hitting North America, like I said, I I would I, I I it would be highly suspect if she came only to work GCW. I think that would be. I think it's highly suspect. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. And I, you know, and I'm not saying this out of I I don't have any. Uh, any inside info here you know i don't have any any expert knowledge i i'm just throwing this out there but now just to wrap things up today i'd like to share with you because it's july we have officially passed into the into the second half of the year and as we get into the second half of, of a year and we start pondering Oh, what happened over the past few years, over the past six months, and how things went, so on and so forth. And uh, and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, yeah, already like who, you know, what are my matches of the year so far? Who, who are my wrestlers of the year? And I like to make the case right now for five guys who have, um, who I feel right now are worthy for wrestler of the year contention. Like if we were to stop right now, it would be one of these five, one of these five right here in no particular order. And chat, let me know if you're watching live right now. And if you're listening uh, on demand, leave a comment. You can leave comments on Spotify. You can leave comments on YouTube. Let's chat it up. 
who are your wrestlers of the year so far in this first half of 2023 here are mine i'm gonna start with hiromu takahashi i think it's difficult to argue that he hasn't been having a a a spectacular year so far regains the iwgp junior heavyweight title at wrestle kingdom and defeats every challenger while having great to excellent matches along the way like his output has been phenomenal the four-way at wrestle kingdom was great the match with yo in february was excellent his match with leo rush and we're talking the one from march the new japan cup finals that was a match of the year his match with robbie eagles match of the year his match with sonata was excellent his match with mike bailey was excellent his match with titan was excellent he wrestled at in a singles match at the muto uh retirement show at the tokyo dome a great one against amakusa excellent match actually and then on top of it all booking his own junior all-star shows did one in japan's gonna do one in the, the united states like his only real blemish if you want to call it such is that he 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 never he lost the best of super juniors that's really the top blemish of Hiromu Takahashi's year so far but as of today he is on day 181 of his reign and frankly he is the division he is the the junior division in new japan he's been the ace of it since kushida passed the torch and maybe not that long ago even last year you're like oh maybe the guy does he still have it so on and so forth this year has been nothing but stellar he is absolutely the ace he's the face of the division he's the backbone of the division i don't know what else you want to call it but he he is absolutely the guy for the junior heavyweight division in new japan no one lives up to it no one lives up to it so he's been having an absolutely stellar year so far i would add into the mix orange cassidy i would make an argument for him he's held the international championship for over 260 days at this point back at when it was remember when it was called the all, the all atlantic title back in those days and uh cassidy has absolutely turned this title into a workhorse championship right like he has absolutely revitalized it makes it made it feel significant makes it feel good he currently has 35 matches this year and we are at week 27 in the calendar year this guy has been wrestling every week sometimes twice sometimes being called to do replacements on new japan shows you say i'll do it he has this great story on top of it all where you know his his health is on the line because he's wrestling every week and uh, and his body's breaking down but he still manages to squeak out wins he's had excellent matches with yuto wheeler utah Dan Garcia, Bandito, Swerve. He had that great four-way at uh, Forbidden Door as well. Look, he's dependable. He's over 
His matches are highlights of every show he's on. He's breaking down at the same time, breaking down perceptions of himself. All doing this in one of the most significant singles runs in contemporary wrestling. You can't, you can't poo-poo how good this run has been. It has been excellent. He might not be like a top guy, like a, in, he's not put in like top draw situations, but he's been a, con, a, a consistently enjoyable component of AEW programming for a while. He's become a cornerstone of, of Wednesday nights. And the pay-per-views on top of that. And I think it all started last year when he had that great match with Will Ospreay where, where a lot of people opened up at the idea that, like, oh, this guy's more than just a meme. This guy can actually wrestle. And he's been proving it. And he's been compelling. It's been good. It's been consistent. Another guy who I'd consider at this point to be a wrestler of the year, Will Ospreay. No shocker there. How can you not consider this guy? Match of the year at Wrestle Kingdom. The only thing that could possibly top it is another match with the same guy that he did just about a week ago at Forbidden Door. Look, he doesn't have, he doesn't have like that, this insane output that he had in 2022 where he was just cranking out five-star match and five-star match, uh, no, you know, one after the other, but the G1 isn't done yet. We're not even in G1 season yet. And, uh, and we still have the third Kenny match to come. Which they heavily hinted at. Which is absolutely going to happen. Osprey's star is still rising. And it's a, he's achieving... He's, his, he's rising to a level his matches with Omega were meant to do. Elevate him to a true-to-form international superstar. He's an attraction, an, an impeccable wrestler on top of that. Incapable of having a bad match. and Because he makes sure that the people around him rise with him. He got a five, he got a, a four-star match out of an ailing Hiroshi Tanahashi just earlier this year. You know, we, we got to, you know, like I keep saying to everyone, we got to, we got to come to grips that uh, Tanahashi's health, his body is, it's broken down. We're, you know, this is it. We, we've plateaued, but yet gets in the ring with, um, with Will Ospreay and delivers magic. So again, might not be the, the home run that it was for a lot of people in 2022. But it's undeniable. The quality, the importance, the significance of his matches. They're all there. And it's hard to not add Kenny Omega to this list either. As a fourth guy here. You know, a little bit of, a, a little bit of what I said about uh, Omega, uh, about Osprey, excuse me, it, uh, applies to Kenny. Who might have, who might have spent, you know, more matches in multi-man scenarios, right? In trios, you know, those, 
the, the, the trio mismatches, which is smart because, you know, Kenny's another guy whose body is, you know, banged up and wants to be able to, 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 to go for a few more years. So, you know, you, you don't want him going out and killing himself in singles matches every week. But everything this guy's been involved in is great. And he never gives a half-assed performance. He always goes all out, even if he is in a trios match where he's supposed to be taking it maybe a little, a little easier, a little smoother. But everything that he's been involved in, you know, the, the, the Osprey match is death triangle. The elite stories. He's been great. You know, what he's doing with Takeshita now. And now... And, and then he delivers excellent singles matches on top of that. Don't forget the, the steel cage match with John Moxley. The match with Vikingo, which he's going to do again in a couple of weeks. Like, like Osprey, Kenny is an attraction wrestler. Omega, Osprey, Will is, he's now being elevated to that level. A guy where you can't miss, right? That you can't miss, I should say. And Kenny has been on this plateau, on this level, and this is where he is. But that's what he is. He's an attraction wrestler. He's a special wrestler. He knows that he, you know at this era, at this point in time, you go to see a Kenny Omega match and you are going to see something special. You're going to have something that's going to make you excited about pro wrestling. Something that is going to be high quality. Again, might not have crazy output, but still, holy shit. What a year. What a year so far. And to wrap this up, maybe a bit of a dark horse here, but I'm still going to go for it. Zack Sabre Jr. would be a, a guy I'd put on my, in my top five half-year wrestlers of the year. Again, not unlike Orange Cassidy, a workhorse. Like a guy who's just been out there week in, week out, wrestling great matches. The beauty about the beauty about 2023 Zack Sabre Jr. is that he's he's reached a level where he has successfully combined a potentially tiresome way of, of wrestling, you know, very ground-based grappling catch stuff, which in and about itself is not exciting but he's combined that with with a, 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 a with, with a dare I say a sports entertainment feel in a way that makes him feel that, that where he comes across as as special like what he's doing is exciting and compelling and that's all on his own personal work to create a connection with the audience, to convey what he's doing, to convey that what he's doing is special, is unique, but not boring. And I don't think a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. can be boring, and that's all in his personality. This is an intangible, because you could have a dozen guys who could wrestle like Zack Sabre Jr., or at least try to, because I'm not trying to say that he's a run-of-the-mill wrestler, au contraire. He is an extraordinary technician. One in a thousand, one in a million, but you could have a bunch of guys trying to do what he does and they wouldn't do it as successfully, wouldn't translate so seamlessly as, a, as an entertaining wrestling match as he does. He's been, 
he's I think he's in a transition right now from star to superstar I think he's someone now that pops up more easily on people's lips because of the total package that he brings now he's not just the grapple fuck guy he's Zack Sabre Jr. he's a master technician and a great in-ring worker and uh and a fantastic overall performer and I think that he's working through this as New Japan's uh, first world television champion and I think at the same time he's been making this belt meaningful there's been all the discourse on how it should have been a younger guy so on and so forth but 2020 you look back at this and you're like this has been a stellar run and I don't think there is anyone who could have made it more compelling more edifying than him making the 15 minute match time limit so uh, furious and breakneck without actually breaking people's necks he's been making this title at the same time this is a situation where the man is making the title whoever has to follow in Zack Sabre Jr's footsteps has some big shoes to full to, to fill because he has been an excellent champion working champion uh, uh working champion winning champion delivering excellent matches great matches dramatic compelling when's the last time you heard Zack Sabre Jr. versus him eh. this doesn't happen and I think his I think his 2023 has been low-key excellent sure he's not selling out any domes any stadiums but his output has been remarkable his evolution has been incredible this title run is def is career defining for him this is going to be one that people are going to look back on more so than uh you know the new japan cup wins and the great g1s this is good shit and those are my people those would be my my five wrestlers of the mid-year at the halfway mark so we'll see how that turns out once we reach January next year once everything is all said and done are these guys still going to be on it are they going to be moved around shuffled around we will we will we extend this to a top 10 there's still six more months to go and there's a G1 in the meantime. There's lots of great stuff coming down the pipeline. I'm telling you, pro wrestling men these days, outstanding. But you know what is outstanding? Wrapping up the weekly wrestling inspection. I know that's a terrible segue. It's a really terrible segue. Wait. Fantastic stuff. Hey, thank you all for joining me today on this edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show, a pro wrestling podcast. It was my pleasure to have you here. If you're listening on YouTube right now, consider giving one last like, or if you haven't already, leave the like and uh, subscribe if you enjoyed this. There's a lot more to come over the next few months, over the next few weeks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we got the AEW Dynamite Review 
that's coming up this Thursday, AEW Collision on Sunday as well. And the G1 Climax, my daily G1 Climax 33 coverage is going to be starting in about two weeks. So it's a good time to subscribe or to follow on your uh, podcast application on the audio feeds as well. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify and those things help out a great deal. But listen... Can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to join me to listen to my meanderings and ramblings. And I hope you had a good time. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay hydrated. I'll see you next time.